Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Dave Bolin writes, In October of 1781, General Cornwallis marched his British troops into Yorktown. The Patriots to the south had wreaked havoc on his red coat army, and he was hoping to rendezvous with the British Navy on Chesapeake Bay. American and French troops, however, anticipating Cornwallis's plan, pounded them with cannon fire while the French fleet cut off escape by sea. The British found themselves trapped. Thomas Nelson, then governor of Virginia and a signer of the Declaration of Independence, was fighting with the Patriots firing the cannons in Yorktown. Gathering the men, he pointed to a beautiful brick home. That is my home, he explained. It is the best one in town. And because of that, Lord Cornwallis has almost certainly set up the British headquarters inside. And he told the American artillerymen to open fire on his own house. They did. As the story goes, the first cannonball shot at Mr. Nelson's house sailed right through the large dining room window and landed on the table where several British officers were eating. It is one thing for a man to talk about freedom. It is quite another to destroy his own home to help make that freedom a reality. Nelson understood, however, that to hold on to his current life would mean forfeiting the life he was so desperately seeking. A life of freedom would cost him the things of his present life, and it was a small price to pay. On October 19th, as the British troops surrendered, the Red Coat Band played the song, The World Turned Upside Down. The song was apt. The world's greatest superpower had just been defeated by an army that couldn't afford to put shoes on its soldiers' feet. And as Dave Boland says, But how can you thwart an army willing to sacrifice everything they currently have for something infinitely better waiting on the other side? Colossians 3.2 teaches us to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. God would have us, the church, live in light of eternity, in light of our hope, in light of something infinitely better waiting for us on the other side. As the Lord called His apostles to follow Him, and their willingness to forsake all to follow Him, teaches us to prioritize our lives by devotion to Christ and to live for what is truly lasting. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 3 read, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. The Lord, after his baptism and temptation, he had been ministering in Galilee, teaching in its synagogues and healing the sick and casting out demons. 
Here in chapter 5, he comes to the Sea of Galilee. Because of all the good that he had been doing in the area, Luke 4.37 states, And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Thus when the Lord came to the Sea of Galilee, a large crowd came to see the Lord, and they gathered around him. But the throng around him became so large that there was a press and the Lord was being pushed up against the waters and the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. This was preventing him from being able to teach effectively, and he needed to put some distance between the crowd and himself. So the Lord used his surroundings to his advantage. He saw two empty boats by the shore and decided to create a natural outdoor theater. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, and asked Peter to row the boat a short distance from the land. Peter did so, and the Lord had a captive audience with Peter in the boat with him. From out on the water, the Lord could address the people more effectively, since they all could see him now further away from them, and his voice would be able to project, since he was facing all of them with the shore functioning acoustically like an amphitheater. Once the boat was positioned a short distance from the shore, the Lord sat down. It was a custom in the Lord's day for a teacher, a rabbi, to, to stand during the reading of the scriptures, but when he taught, to sit down. The Lord began to teach the crowd the word of God, and his voice echoed across the waters of the early morning Sea of Galilee as hundreds lined the shore to hear him. As this was all going on, the fishermen were mending and washing their nets. It said that if their nets were not washed and stretched out to dry, they would rot and break. The fishermen were dutifully washing their nets and removing debris from them, like seaweed, like perhaps a sandal or two that they had drug up with their nets. If it was today, there would probably be a couple of soda cans in them, but they didn't have soda cans back then. Washing their nets early in the morning showed that these men had been fishing all night. Verse 5 tells us this directly also. These men weren't sports fishermen. They caught fish for a living. This wasn't a pastime for them. This was their livelihood and how they supported their families. Have you heard why fishing is considered a good business? Because of its net profits. Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen, and in verse 10 we learn that John and his brother James were partners in business with Peter and Andrew. But business wasn't good after the bad night they had fishing. All these men were tired and frustrated. They were washing their nets to put them up to dry for the day, and then they were going to go home and go to bed to get some rest so that they'd be ready to go out the next night. But then something unexpected happens. Luke chapter 5 verses 4 to 5 read, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. After the Lord had finished teaching the crowd, he turned to Peter and he told him to take the boat out to the deep water and to let down their nets for a draught or a catch. I like the assurance the Lord gives with the instruction. He didn't want them, want them to go fishing. He wanted them to go catching. He says, let down your net for a catch. 
Peter's reply was, Master, we have toiled all the night and have, cut, have taken nothing. Peter and the other three men had been throwing out and hauling in an empty net all night long. The word toiled means to feel fatigued due to hard work. They hadn't slept all night and they had worked hard all night and they were tired. And that's what Peter's telling the Lord. And the fact that they caught nothing all night indicates his thought that further fishing would be pointless. And you can almost hear him thinking, I just got done washing my nets. If I throw them out into the water, I'll have to take them back to shore and do all that over again. And not only did Peter resist the instruction due to fatigue, but it also didn't make sense. The Lord asked Peter to do something contrary to Peter's own expertise in fishing. Peter was a professional fisherman, and he knew two things. This is the wrong time of day to fish, and the deep is the wrong part of the lake to do any fishing with nets. Normally, the fish that were in shallow water at night would migrate during the daylight hours to waters too deep to reach with nets, which is why Peter fished at night. He knew the fish were deeper in the lake and retreated to the depths to stay cool during the day. And he knew to fish at night when they came to the shallows and to the surface to feed. According to everything that Peter knew about fishing, he was sure he would not catch anything at that time of the day. The best fishing on the Sea of Galilee was at night close to shore. But the Lord had asked him to launch out into the deep in the middle of the day. This was asking a great deal of Peter, but the Lord was teaching Peter to trust him to have faith in his word. There's also an analogy from the shallow to the deep water here for Peter. Peter's relationship with Christ up to this point had been casual and uncommitted. The Lord and Peter had been acquainted for some time. There are a couple callings of Peter, Andrew, James, and John before this one, and there is a progressive drawing of them. According to the Gospel of John, Peter met and was introduced to the Lord in Judea the day after Christ was baptized. Later, according to Matthew 4, the Lord had been walking by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Although Peter and Andrew had followed Christ, they did not yet follow him in a complete and unconditional matter, manner. They were still, at least for part of the time, engaged in their fishing business and their trade as fishermen. So at this point in Peter's life, Christ was still not the complete focus of Peter's life. Fishing was still a priority and a focus. The Lord's call for Simon to launch out into the deep is an analogy of what he wanted to do in Simon's life, to take Peter from the shallows or a half-hearted, casual commitment to him into a deeper, personal, stronger devotion to the Lord. He wanted to move Peter from shallow to deep water faith. 
And the Lord wants to do that same thing in our lives. He wants to move us from the shallows to the deep with our faith, to go, to go deeper in our knowledge of Him by the Word, deeper in our personal relationship with Him, deeper in our devotion to Him. Sometimes, like Peter, though, we drag our feet. And it might take some time before we give more of ourselves to follow and live for the Lord and to give Him the preeminence in our lives that He is worthy of and that He deserves. But like Peter, we'll find that launching out into the deep with Christ is the best thing for our lives and the best decision that we could ever make. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Life and Letters of the Apostle Peter is a 248-page paperback commentary written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler. The Life and Letters of the Apostle Peter are a remarkable account of a lowly fisherman who became a household name in Israel. In spite of Peter's imperfections, the Lord used him mightily to call the chosen nation to repentance. The purpose of his letters was to remind his countrymen that even though Israel was set aside nationally for the time being, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. To order your copy, contact Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at BereanBibleSociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Luke chapter 5, verses 6 to 7 read, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. Peter rowed the same boat he had all night out into the deep, and he cast the same nets into the water that had come back empty all night long. But after he and Andrew put their nets out in the deep water, in obedience to the Lord's word, something amazing occurred. Right after deploying their net, Peter felt it pulled down with tremendous force as it filled with fish and became taut. The weight of the fish and the net almost pulled them overboard out into the water. They held onto the net with all their might, and there were so many fish in the net that it stretched and cracked and began to break. As they were grunting and groaning, trying to haul in the net, Peter frantically began beckoning unto his business partners, James and John, that they should come out and help them. They couldn't handle the net by themselves. They were too far away to yell for them to come help since they were in the deep water and they were back on the shore. So Peter was waving his arms, motioning, signaling for them to come out to help. He gets their attention. James and John then quickly row 
row, rowed their boats as fast as they could to Peter and Andrew's boat. Arriving there, they helped them bring in that heavy net and all that fish in it. And from it, from that catch, both boats were filled to overflowing from this catch and each boat began sinking. The weight of the catch of this fish nearly swamped both of their boats. And the picture the Bible gives us is that as the boats were rowed to shore, they were barely visible above the water because of the weight of the fish. This was not just a good catch. This was a record catch. This was a haul. And talk about a great fish story to tell others. They had caught their share of fish in their day, but this kind of catch was unheard of. And they had caught the fish in a place where, and at a time when, they never should have gotten any fish at all. This was a miracle at the hand of God, and Peter knew it. Luke chapter 5, verses 8 to 10 read, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. After all the fish were in both boats, and Peter looked at both boats filled with fish, the Lord's object lesson brought Peter to his knees, and he began to see Christ in an entirely new light. He was not just a powerful prophet, just a gifted healer, just a wise teacher. He saw Christ for who He truly is. He's Lord. Lord of the sea. Lord of creation. Lord over His life. And Peter recognized that he was in the presence of majesty. And this caused him, still in the boat, mind you, to fall down before Christ in worship and to beg for His mercy. When Peter saw the power and majesty of Christ in this miracle, it made Peter very aware of his own spiritual bankruptcy compared to him. And he was stricken with shame over his own sin in his presence. This was very much like another man in the Bible who found himself frozen with fear when confronted with being in the presence of God. Isaiah the prophet, in the vision given to him in the temple, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Both Isaiah and Peter were seeing the same person, and they both understood the consequence of direct contact with God. Sinful man cannot survive in the presence of divine holiness and majesty, and Peter at this moment understood himself to be a man tainted with sin in the presence of a holy God, and he was overcome with a sense of his own unworthiness. Peter asked Christ to leave him, not because he did not want to be in his presence, but because he felt unworthy of being there. He was one who fell short. And he realized that he was a sinful man in the presence of the Holy One who was exercising his divine power over his creation. And his shame is also tied to the fact that he had not given himself completely to follow the Lord up to this point. Peter's confession was true. 
He was a sinful man. All of us are sinful. Peter telling the Lord to go away from him shows that sin demands separation from God. We can't be in God's presence in heaven in our sins. We must have our sins taken away and forgiven in order to have the hope of heaven. And by the cross, in Christ's shed blood, our sins have been paid for. In the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, all our sins are washed away and forgiven, and we are ready for heaven in that moment. Verse 9 states that the remarkable catch of fish astonished Peter and all that were with him. Andrew, James, and John, there was no explanation for it except divine intervention and that it was a miracle by the hand of God. Luke 5, verses 10 to 11, then read, And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. As the fishermen trembled before the Messiah, the Lord, and his Kindness and his mercy, he calmed them by telling them, Fear not. Then he added, From henceforth thou shalt catch men. And as the Lord said in Matthew's account of him calling Peter and Andrew, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Christ used the fish to represent people that Peter would catch and draw into the millennial kingdom. Christ was now calling these fishermen to leave their profession behind and to begin following him permanently. He would take them from fishing for fish and catching fish to making them fishers of men and catchers of men. The gospel of the coming kingdom needed to be proclaimed widely so that many could hear and could become subjects of his kingdom by repentance, water baptism, and faith in the name of Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were called by Christ to cast the net of the gospel of the kingdom and catch people for the Messiah and his earthly kingdom. And like this net caught fish in great quantity, so Peter, like after his spirit-filled sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.41 reads, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The symbolism of this account was teaching these men how they were to catch men. Christ had chosen to teach the word of God from a fishing boat. So the boat was transformed into an instrument of evangelism. The boat was where the word of God was proclaimed to the multitude. And then Christ told Peter to row this boat into the deep water, and the boat was where a multitude of fish were caught. Thus they were being shown that the way they would catch men was through the word of God. Just as Christ had gathered a multitude of people with the word of God, as verse 1 states that the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, so Peter and the others would be fishers of men and catch a great multitude of people by the Word of God. And their message from the Word of God was to be like Christ. They were to preach the kingdom of God, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to make known Israel's hope and calling of the earthly millennial reign of Christ and that it was at hand. What was also made clear in this miracle is that while Peter and the others did the work, it was Christ who provided the fish. 
the great catch of fish was all due to him, and it was he who deserved the glory for it. And they were shown what could be accomplished through him and his power in their ministry and service for him. You see principles of how they were to catch men throughout the account. Faith in Christ, obedience to Christ, humility before Christ were all necessary in their ministries. And they also needed to be dependent on Christ for the catch. In most cases, a mentor trains their pupils to become autonomous. As the students learn, they become less and less dependent on their teacher until they gain enough knowledge and experience to strike out on their own. But the Lord had a different lesson plan for His disciples. He taught them how to become ever more and increasingly dependent on Him. The abundance of fish only came by Him and His power. And in their fishing and catching of men, results and fruit would only come through Him and by dependence on Him. After Isaiah was confronted with the Lord's glory and holiness, when the Lord said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah's voluntary response was, Here am I, Lord, send me. And that was Peter's response to this experience as well. Peter followed the Lord in an intermittent fashion on a part-time basis before. After this experience, though, he forsook all and followed Christ with all his heart. You could say that there was a catch to this story. The Lord caught the fishermen. He caught Peter. The experience of this miracle made Peter worship Christ and surrender his life to Christ. And Andrew, James, and John did the same. Later, Peter would deny the Lord three times. And here we see how after this third call on his life, Peter followed the Lord completely. The word followed is a word which signifies the deepest inward attachment, and it indicates to follow someone down the same road. After this miracle, Peter, Andrew, James, and John responded to the call of Christ on their lives to follow Him and catch men. And so when they pulled their boats up on that beach, they forsook all and followed the Lord down the same road He was on, and they didn't look back. That day they determined to follow the Lord anywhere He led them and to do anything He commanded them, and they left their former lives and livelihoods behind. And on the day they had their best day ever doing what they do, Christ called them to leave it all behind. And with no hesitation, they willingly left it all behind. Against all reason, they obeyed the Lord's command to do something irrational from a human perspective, something that professional fishermen would refuse to do. They steered their boats toward deep waters, the wrong part of the lake, and the wrong time of the day for catching fish. In response to their faith and obedience, the Lord did a miracle. And against all reason, they did something irrational from a human perspective. They forsook all. They gave their lives to following the Lord and serving Him. And in response to their faith and obedience, Christ did a miracle. He made a miracle out of their lives. And He can and He will do the same in our lives. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. 
We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.